0: Well, we welcome you back to our Mountaineering with the Master series. This is part three and the final installment of a a series within a series called If Looks Could Kill. The first two parts are available online. I just checked that this morning, (laughs) um, both online and in our podcast section of our website. So they are there for you. All right. Good. And we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the passage we are wrestling with again this morning. You've heard the commandment that says, these are the words of Jesus, that you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow, quite a passage of scripture, and we've been aiming at this for the last couple of weeks. As I said, part one, uh, we looked at sex in scripture, an overview of the fact that God has created sex before sin entered the world. It is a gift for our enjoyment, but it has been perverted and twisted by the world. And we want to come back into a biblical understanding of our sexuality, which is a gift from God, not sent to torment us or torture us in any way, shape, or form, but to bless us. When expressed properly according to his plan. Last week we started to dig down into these words of Jesus from this passage. And here's what we discovered last week. He says uh, to open, I say to you. Now, in this particular section of scripture, six times Jesus had said, you've heard it said. You've heard it said, or you've heard the commandment, or you've heard that our ancestors were told, depending on your translation. Six times he has said that, and now he's saying, you've heard it this way, but I say, but I say to you. In the original language, this is emphatic. It's like I myself, me, I'm saying this. My own authority. And there's a real emphasis on who is speaking. Jesus is saying, I'm saying, you've heard it said, you've heard it taught, you've heard it preached, you've heard it your entire lives, but I'm saying to you, this did this create quite a stir? You better believe it did because Jesus is putting his own teaching over and above what the rabbis were teaching the religious leaders of his day. This didn't make him any friends among the religious types. Now at the end of this thing we call the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were beside themselves. They literally flipped their lid over the teachings of Jesus. But for those religious leaders, they had a much different view. They said, we need to kill this guy. He's putting his own authority over our teaching. We need to get rid of him. And so from this most famous sermon, there is uh, quite a different response for sure because these words are revolutionary. Now, he then goes on to say, I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman, now looks is a present tense participle for you grammarians out there. Uh, the present tense emphasizes the continual action of looking. It's not the oops kind of look, this is an intended gaze a fixed gaze and so he's uh, what he's saying here is it's a continuous process of looking and we demonstrated that last week so we won't cover that again Uh, there's a war going on, we must fight the good fight and you know sometimes in a good fight running is the best thing you can do, running away from it that's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. So Run away from it. Get away from it. So anyone who looks, and again, we spent some time in this. Listen to the, to the message if you want to dig further into what this whole idea of looks. What is Jesus talking about? And understand, in in different cultures, the look goes to different places. Here in Western culture, uh, with a woman, we look at certain body parts. But if I could transpose or transport us to, let's say, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa, to the Jula tribe, You know, when a man looks at a woman, you know what gets him sighted in the Jula tribe? You know what gets a guy off looking at a woman? If she's got a wide gap in her front teeth and thick ankles. Now try that here in America and see what you get. All right? All right? Not quite the same, but it's the same around the world in every context and every culture. We're looking at something, Right? And that's what Jesus is identifying here. The sin is not in the temptation. The sin is not in the temptation. We will be tempted in every way. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Temptation will come to us all. Jesus' followers are all tempted all the time. It's what we do with the look that either becomes a test which is designed to grow us in the same Greek word we looked at this last week or a temptation that's designed to cause us to fall. Same Greek word. And the choice is made right here in the heart what are we going to look at and this affects men and women equally in any culture in the world Okay, so it includes all of us he says then, it looks at a woman with lust and I ask you the question is lust bad that is what we answered last week many of you said yes, but the answer is it depends, right it depends. It depends. The word lust, metal in the original language is a strong craving or desire. A strong craving or desire. That's the limitations of the word. And we look at Paul's statement in Philippians chapter 1. He said... For to me living means living for Christ And dying is even better I'm torn between two desires That's the same word that Jesus used Uh, Paul said I'm torn between two desires I long to go and be with Christ Which would be far better for me But for your sakes it's better that I continue to live Paul lusted exact same word that Jesus is using here After heaven He had a strong emotional desire How many of you have a strong emotional desire to get to heaven? I hope that you do because this world is not our home This is not our home He has gone to prepare a place for us It is absolutely incredible But we can actually have a strong emotional craving Oftentimes, we are caught up in the cravings of this world And we lose this idea of actually desiring heaven Not in any morbid weird kind of way but because we understand. So is lust bad? Is lust bad? It all depends on the object of our craving. That's what determines if it's good or bad. So what is the object of our strong emotional desire or craving right now? We have to look into our own hearts and answer that question, right? So if looks on a woman with lust in his heart, let's continue with unpackaging this passage in the last of... This series, mini series within this series. He's already committed adultery. He's already committed adultery with her. Huh. Dictionary defines adultery like this A sexual relationship between two people In which at least one of those involved Is married to someone else That's pretty simple And we'll throw fornication in there In case there's any confusion Is sexual relationship between unmarried people Between unmarried people Now my family lineage Has struggled with adultery I, I, I don't know how many Generations I can go back In which there was adulterous relationships In my family lineage Right up to my dad right up to my dad every single generation has adultery in it I don't know about what your family lineage looks like uh, but that's, that's my history that's my legacy and so he said if you look on a woman like this or a man if you're a woman you've already committed adultery with that person huh adultery pretty strong word what does the scripture say about in the old testament moses wrote that adultery is one of the most devastating and destructive of sins and therefore uh, the sentence was death if you commit adultery you're going to die that's not my words that's the words of scripture because that's the seriousness of this particular sin and so we read this from Leviticus which is a book not a lot of people spend a lot of time but there's a lot of truth in that book. So Leviticus 20.10 says this. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife both the man and the woman have committed adultery and must be put to death. Okay? If a man is discovered committing adultery Deuteronomy 22.22 22, both he and the woman must die In this way you will purge Israel of all such evil. And so if I fast forward centuries the religious leaders actually got it right when they brought this woman and dragged her in front of Jesus and threw her down in the dirt and said we caught this woman in the very act of adultery what should we do with her what does the law say to do with her kill her kill her that is the penalty she was caught in the very act of adultery now why did they didn't drag the guy I don't know but they dragged a the woman there did she deserve death? Yes, at that point in the Old Testament, the penalty for adultery was death. She should have been stoned, as recorded in John 7 53 through 811. If Jesus would not have stepped in, would not have intervened, if he would not have stepped up and forgiven her of her sin, she would have deserved to be stoned. Aren't you glad Jesus came? Otherwise we're all in big trouble. All of us. And that's the beauty of Jesus, is it not? Yeah, I'm so glad he came. And I guarantee you, that woman was glad he came. Because he saved her life, physically and spiritually. And what did he say to her, by the way? When they began to drop their rocks, starting with the oldest and they walked away. What did he say to her? Anybody remember? Where is your accuser? Neither do I accuse you. But then he said what? Go and sin no more. Right? Right? Huh. That's grace. Undeserved. Marvelous. The word adultery is found 22 times in the New Testament. 22 times. Only once is it used in the spiritual sense. The 21 times it's used, it's used in the literal sense of adultery as we think about it. The physical act. And in the, in the New Testament, fornication, on the other hand, is often the translation of the Greek word pornea, from where we get pornography that includes sexual immorality of many kinds, a whole host of sexual sins. And understand, sexual sins have been around a long, long time, right? Nothing new under the sun. We may think that, oh, this is really weird and perverted. Nah, it's happened before. I'm going to read you this from Leviticus. This is intriguing to me. Leviticus 20. If a man violates his father by having sex with one of his father's wives, both a man and the woman must be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. If a man has sex with his daughter-in-law, both must be put to death. They have committed a perverse act and are guilty of a capital offense. If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man, as with a woman, both men ha- have committed a detestable act. They must be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. If a man marries both a man... If a man marries both a woman and her mother, what? Ah! Oh! He has committed a wicked act. The man and both women must be burned to death to wipe out such wickedness from among you. If a man has sex with an animal, he must be put to death, and the animal must be killed. If a woman presents herself to a male animal to have intercourse with it, she and the animal must be put to death. You must kill both for they are guilty of a capital offense. We go on and on and on. The Old Testament is very specific about the list of sexual sins, right? The Bible addresses this flat out, up front. Here we are, and here we go. And so Paul will kind of summarize this in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Not my words. These are God's words. And so, we think about this, and we bring it back to where we are. I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. What is the penalty for adultery? Death. Death. That's how serious God looks at this whole scenario. And so, adultery is specifically listed as forbidden. This is number seven of the Ten Commandments, right? You must not commit adultery. Adultery was a big no-no then in the Jewish culture. One of the most sensational stories of the Old Testament, as you think of Old Testament stories, is David's risque affair with Bathsheba. Oh, my goodness, it caused such heartache and chaos in David's life all the way to the end. Yet even in this case, David later repented. He received God's forgiveness And despite the consequences, and if you've never read Psalm 51, I suggest you check it out because this is his response. God created me a clean heart. I know what I've done. And I know that I deserve to die. So I throw myself on your mercy. God's grace is sufficient and covers every wrongdoing. There is freedom in Jesus. He does not want us laboring under guilt and shame. That's why He came, to free us from that guilt and shame, right? And yet He still says, go and sin no more. Do we continue to sin? Sometimes we do. Are we fighting it? Are we resisting? We know God's at work if it just bothers us and we feel the guilt. But God doesn't want us living in guilt. He wants us living in freedom and joy And let's see how we might do that. So he said, (sighs) But I tell you, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Where? In your heart. In your heart. Not just for the guys, in his or her heart. You know that's that what's on the inside is really what matters. We get all that. It's the overflow of the heart and Jesus always, always is working from the inside out. We know that the law didn't stop people from committing adultery. Even though there was a death sentence attached to it, it still didn't keep people from committing adultery. And Jesus came so that we might change our heart and perhaps gain victory over this and every other sin. So, Wisdom literature guards your heart for everything you do flows from it. You agree with that, right? Everything you do, everything you say, every action you do is an overflow of what's really in your heart. It's not because you're a redhead. It's not because you're from Oostburg. It's not because of whatever, right? It's because of what's in here. And so Matthew fifteen nineteen. It's from the heart that we vomit up evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, and cussing. That's what pollutes. Jesus said in Second Corinthians ten five. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We know the battle is for our brain. The battle is right up here because if we look at if we, we're thinking this thing, that's where the battle is. And number one, what we think is really who we are. What are we thinking about? That will tell us. Who we really are. Again, wisdom literature is a face is reflected in water so the heart reflects the real person. It's just giving us what's on the inside. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the most important sexual organ that you have is your brain. It's your brain. It's up here. This is where the battle is. This is where it all happens. Right here. Right up here. Right? So... What we think about often becomes then our choice. If we're thinking this way, if I'm looking this way, then I am going to act that way and make a choice to act that way. And thirdly, our thought life can and must be controlled. This is where we are. What we think about is really who we are. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in her heart, you've already committed adultery with her. So let me take just a little segue, just for a minute or two, and, and I want to talk to our singles here today. Don't smugly think that adultery stuff lets you off the hook. <laughs> doesn't. This is for everyone. This is for everyone. Why? Single adults are the fastest-growing subculture, not of America, but of our entire world. Single adults are the fastest-growing subculture of our entire world. They're often misunderstood, misrepresented, and sometimes in church mistreated and excluded. That saddens me. Singles fall into four categories this morning. You've either never married, you're divorced, you're separated, or you're widowed. That covers all the bases. I remind you that we were all single once, and the odds are we will be single again before our life is done. Here are the stats from the current population reports. This is from Rose and Fields. They say the average American spends the majority of his or her life unmarried. So before you get married and after your spouse departs, or you divorce, or whatever happens, the majority of your life will be spent single. Now, here in the church, it's a little bit different because marriages last a little longer, hopefully, than they do out in the world. But the truth is this uh, the majority of your life, you'll probably live single when all the years are added up. So think about that. And beyond the stats, Jesus said there are only singles in heaven. Are you aware of that? There are only singles in heaven. For when the dead rise, Jesus said they will neither marry nor be given in marriage talking about the end times in matthew 22 you are not married in heaven for some of you that'll be like (laughs) for others you're like maybe i'll convert to mormonism so i can be married forever right (laughs) okay (laughs) marriage is divinely ordained but it's purely earthly and it's temporal just like time is temporal time will be no more right In heaven, everyone will be perfectly and intimately related to everyone else. We will all be single but whole the way that God intended. Okay? That's the teaching of Scripture. So that's the way it all started. You remember, Adam was single when God created him. Put him in the garden, gave him a great job, walked and talked with him, but something was missing. So the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And man was made for relationships with God and with others. That's the point. So God makes a perfect match in Eve. Does this mandate marriage for everyone? Should everyone be married? Huh. Yeah, And one of the churches I serve, uh, we put a guy's name up for elder. And oh, I got some push because he wasn't married. 1 Timothy 3 says he may have to manage his own household well. Therefore, that excludes singles from being an elder. I'm like, what are you reading? Where does this come from? Does it mean that it's God's will that everyone should be married? No. No, not at all. Hear me. Sexual sins will not be corrected by marriage. Sexual sins will not be corrected by marriage. And together, all the married people said, Okay, so we have it. You heard it right here. Right? But what this passage does is point out our need for meaningful relationship with God and others. Right? Marriage is not mandated. Some people should be single. Some people God has called to singleness. That's a whole different message. But as a church, we want to reinforce the biblical truth about sexuality. Hold God's standard high. And for some of us, we failed it. And that's why Jesus came, because God's standard's really high. But it's right. It's right. Now, here's a key issue for singles you may long for a mate or children someone to hold and accept and love the Bible boldly declares there's only one source of contentment there's only one source of contentment a vibrant relationship with God through his son Jesus that's where true contentment comes from whether married or single whether old or young doesn't make any difference a restless discontented soul will only find rest and fulfillment when we are willing to say yes to God and his plan and be satisfied with that and not wanting something different Godliness with contentment, Paul said, is great gain. But back to our text in the final tough words. So, if your right eye offends you, what are we supposed to do? Plug it out. And if your right hand, arm offends you, what are you supposed to do? Chop it off. Now, I'm looking around, and I don't see anybody with a right eye plucked out. And you all have your right hand. So what's going on here, friends? What's going on here, you super saints? Uh, We get it. First reading, this might make us scratch our head. The problem is the heart. What good is plucking out an eye or cutting off your hand? If the issue is the heart, right, as we've talked, certainly wouldn't stop us from lustful looking. And last week we mentioned Origen, one of the church fathers, one of the great writers of the early church, who read these exact words of Jesus and had himself castrated. Thinking that would solve his problem. Did it solve his problem? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Because the issue is always the heart. Certainly, if you plucked out one of my eyes, would it stop me from lustful looking? No, it wouldn't. Obviously, Jesus is using a figure of speech. This is called a hyperbole, it's a point of intended exaggeration. In Jewish culture, the right eye. And the right hand, represented your best—the best that you have to offer. That's a very simple, and we'll keep it there. Right? Person's best vision, best skills, done from the right side. Now, for those of us that are left-handed, that we could—but that's a different point. Jesus' point is that we should be willing to give up whatever is necessary in order to guard our hearts so that we can love God fully. Whatever is the obstacle in our way that's keeping us from loving God and honoring him by our lives and from loving others the way that he loves us that becomes the issue what is that thing what is that thing of course if the verse were literal Jesus appears to be advocating mutilation I don't think so I don't think so and duh we know that mutilating ourselves outwardly will never cleanse the heart inwardly so what do we do What do we do? These are pretty serious words that he's saying. I don't want to pass them by too quickly. So if your right eye causes you to stumble, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, the Greek word stumble was often used for the bait stick that springs the trap when an animal brush against it. You get it, right? Uh, The whole idea that the thing is set up and the animal nudges on the stick, and that's the word stumble here. So think about that for a moment because we have an enemy who's attempting to cause us to be trapped. And Jesus is into freedom. And those two don't get along very well, right? Anything that morally or spiritually is trapping us, and if we're honest with ourselves, there are things right now that are trapping us or nipping at our heels to trap us. Think about that. They should be eliminated quickly, completely, and totally. Sin must be dealt with radically is what Jesus is saying. He's serious about this. Now he came and he said to the woman, Hey, I forgive you. But he said, go and sin no more. He's not lightening the consequences of adultery or any other sin. He's not doing that. He rather took the punishment on himself. And he's saying, rest in me and my grace. Look what I've done for you. But what do we do to keep from stumbling? How do we do this? Number one, feed your brain. These are some things that have been important to me. Feed your brain. If we know that the battle is here, if this is the most important sexual organ, it's right up here, our brain, right, then we need to feed our brain. John Wesley said, "What you feed your mind grows." that be true to question is, What's your brain food these days? Sports, video games, social media. Staying on your phone all the time, work, fantasy. Whoa. What's your brain food? What's your brain food these days? What are we feeding our brain, right? Let's feed our minds on the things of God. How do we do that consistently, strategically? Again, these are, I can't do this for anybody. I can't help you because I got my hands full just dealing with this heart, right? But I have to get up and I have to make the choice. I'm going to spend time with God not just want to get up but throughout the day i have got to do this and whatever does that for you and there's some creative people in here i don't know what works for you and reminds you to bring you back into god's presence throughout your day but we have to have these things that are constantly bring us back into the presence of god the things we see the things we listen to the conversations we engage in right we need to feed our brain and secondly and this is the big one in my life Big one in my life, you gotta starve the source. If we're all tempted, we gotta starve the source of temptation. Some sources that may need starving. People, people. Maybe you know there's some chemistry between you and another person, whether it's at work, in your neighborhood, wherever that might be. You know there's something there, you know that it's not quite right, right? Wake up, run, do what, guard your heart your heart and maybe you stumble and you hang out with the good old guys and the old gang gets together and pretty soon you're doing what you used to do and you know this is wrong and you know it's coming you know these people and the influence that rather than influencing them which is always our motive as Christians I'll go and I'll make a stand for Christ right I guarantee you the weaker will pull down the stronger the vast majority of the time the weaker will pull down the stronger that's a teaching of scripture that's why we need each other to be strengthened in the things of God, right? So people, who are some people that are not such good influences in your life right now? I'm not saying avoid them, I'm saying love them. I'm saying love them, but be careful about giving your heart away to someone who's not headed in the same direction and loving God the way you desire to love Him. Be very careful, right? Places, places, right? So, uh, graduate, candidate, get my first church right about mm, less than six months in my head elder comes and he says uh, I got a problem with smoking pot okay they didn't have a class on that no no they didn't mention your head elder smoking pot so what do I do with that what do I do with that I said, okay Rick where does this happen he says you know what Every time I go get my gas at this certain place, there's a guy there. I said, Rick, change gas stations. And he did. It seemed so simple, right? He took himself out of that environment, but that's where the victory came. It started him on a path of victory when he stopped getting gas at that place. This is not exactly rocket science. The enemy knows when he can lock us up and lock us in. He's going to do it very, very simply. And so, uh, my next church, I had a governing board member, very influential person, said, You know, I'm really struggling with pornography. Uh, this was before the internet. And he said, Where do you keep it? Well, he owns several apartment buildings, so I keep a stash in my apartment building. I said, Okay, what are we going to do with that? Well, we got rid of it. Right, And then we began to meet man to man, right? And it was through accountability that we saw victory come. Because we looked at the man lies last week. I can stop anytime I want. I can handle this. God have got maybe this way. Why do I even try to fight it? All these lies that we believe. We looked at those last week, right? But this guy was willing to submit to accountability and say, I need help. I need help. And then we knew we were on track. For me, where did all this stuff start in my heart? My dad kept a stack of Playboys in his closet. And when I was about 12 years old, I went in his closet looking for something, and I peeled this back, and a whole new world opened to me in that moment. Boom. And it was my own father. Keeping his little secret there. Not the end of the world. Everybody looks at Playboy magazines back then. What was a big deal? But it opened the door. I was not raising a Christian home. My dad was not a Christian. But that place, that place was the beginning of my journey was sexual temptation that was the beginning and every guy you're nodding you're nodding you know when it happened and there's a certain place where this thing happened right and you can identify that place this is where the journey began where is it taking me that's what I'm interested in where are we going with this thing and then there's external influences today, TV, Internet, movies. And you, you understand this. We've got to change the channel, walk out. Of the theater. I remember I w- went with a staff member to a movie. It was about inner-city basketball. And this thing was raunchy. So we got up and we left the movie. Walked out of the movie theater, right? Because I know I have to starve the source. i got to starve the source. The more I'm, su- you know, my goal now is... What about my grandkids? What legacy am I leaving them? What am I looking at? Why am I looking at this? Am I proud that I'm looking at that? Do I want my grandkids involved with that? Because we're always influencing by our decisions All the people around us We're always influencing them So we have to be so cautious So careful When it comes to music and media We can talk about accountability and software And all that kind of stuff It's all good, it's all tools But there's got to be a choice made right here in the heart Each of us are tempted differently But the enemy is after every one of us Who call on the name of Jesus I just want to influence the people around me For righteousness sake then that means I got to starve the source, starve the source of my temptation, and I trust that the Lord will put His finger right in your heart on some things that need to be starved. And then the flip side that we need to feed our brain on. All right, it's not easy. It's a battle. It's a war. That's what we're doing here. So, uh, oh man, it's late. Sorry. I was going to ask you for thoughts, but I won't. We'll close up. Steve, why don't you come on up. So there you have it. According to these last two patches of Scripture that we have dealt with over the past couple of months, we have identified the fact that every person in this room is murder. Right? We are all murderers. You've heard it said, you should not murder. But I tell you, if you're even angry with your brother, You've already murdered him in your heart. That's what Jesus said. So, we got a room full of murderers. Okay? Right? Everybody here is a murderer. Now, how many adulterers do we have in the room? Why? Because I tell you if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her, or a guy, or a thing. I don't care what it is. If we're lusting, strong emotional craving toward that thing, we've already committed adultery in that sense. Spiritual, physical, right? So we got a room full of murderers and adulterers. Woo! What a congregation we've got. Yahoo! Right? You! But in Jesus, in Jesus, you know how God the Father looks on this congregation? How does he look on this congregation? Yeah, you get it. Forgiven, free. Debt has been paid. Jesus bore in himself the penalty for us, adulterers and murderers. And Jesus was very serious about this. The Lord's remedy for a wayward heart is a new heart or heart to be made new through the power of the Holy Spirit. This new heart begins by acknowledging, I am hopeless and I am helpless, God. I need your help. I can't handle this. It's too big. It's too much. And I can feed my brain. I can starve the source, but i got to surrender to you first i got to surrender to you first. So Jesus, I want to do that again. I want to surrender to you. I I want to say that that the cross is enough. The empty tomb is victory. It's an act of faith for sure, but it's the only remedy for freedom, my friend. And I don't want us walking around with guilt and shame because that is not a part of God's plan. If we have stumbled and the trap has fallen and we're caught again, get up, get moving. Jesus waiting with open arms saying, come, we're going to do this. We're going to keep on fighting this thing until the victory comes. That's his desire. Don't give up. Don't succumb. Fight this thing. Fight it. Fight it. Fight it. Fight it. No more stumbling. No more stumbling. Have you found the freedom of asking God to forgive you? Have you found the freedom that comes with trusting Jesus, not laboring under that guilt, but to say, hear my Lord. Give me a new start right now. Put this heart of flesh and take out this heart of stone in this area of my life so the victory will come. Let's stand together. Here's a benediction from Scripture and then we're going to sing and be done, right? So, Jude 24 and 25. um, I'm going to give you the first line because we talked about stumbling, right? To Him who is able to keep you from what? Stumbling. Stumbling! That's the same word that Jesus, the same idea that Jesus was using when he said, if your right hand, your right eye cause you to stumble. The one who can keep us from stumbling. Let's talk to God. He loves to hear his word spoken back to him either in prayer or verbally. It's his word. He loves to hear it, right? So church, family, together, let's speak the word of God. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. He will keep us from stumbling for His honor and glory. At the cross I bow my knee where your blood was shed for me. There's no greater love than this. You have overcome the grave. You have overcome my stumbling. Isn't that good news? Let's sing it to Him, shall we?